0: Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the UpNext in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie@mission.org at to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the UpNext in Commerce team.
1: Reviews have been a really big piece of the brand since we first launched. And this was a big learning from my prior experience, especially on Amazon, which is so driven by reviews. It's one thing to just show a product on a website, but you can't touch and feel it. And reviews are really the only way to create validation for the quality.
2: You never know when inspiration will strike. For Jordan Nathan, the idea for his company came after an unfortunate incident. Jordan got Teflon poisoning after burning one of his pans while cooking. After researching the dangers of Teflon, which is one of the most prevalent materials in all of cookware, Jordan knew there was a chance to carve a niche for himself in the market with a non-toxic and eco-friendly product. Thus, Caraway Home was born, and it launched with a waiting list of more than 150,000 customers. Jordan has been building on that initial buzz by focusing on his e-commerce platform and selling a vision of a company that can go far beyond just non-toxic pots and pans. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Jordan explains how he builds a pipeline to drive customer reviews, which he uses to organically grow the business. Plus, he reveals the growth strategy for Caraway Home and why he believes that if you want to truly take on the big brands in an industry, you need to use an omni-channel approach to take market share and shelf space away from them in all areas. Enjoy this episode.
0: Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce, connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com/commerce. Welcome back, everyone, to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles from Mission.org. And today we have Jordan Nason on the show, the founder and CEO at Caraway Home. Jordan, thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So I feel like we have to start with a story of you poisoning yourself, <coughs> which brought you to your company. Can you please tell me about that? Because I read that in the notes and I'm like, I didn't know you could poison yourself from pans, like pots and pans. And so I wanted to kind of start the episode that way, if that's okay, a great way to start on a high note.
1: Definitely. Um, yeah. So back in, I think it was late 2017, you know, was cooking just like any other night and uh, unfortunately left a fry pan on my burner for about 45 minutes. I think I, I ended up getting a call right when I was starting to, to cook and forgot the pan was was there, you know, call, call ended, um, ended up feeling kind of nauseous and lightheaded. And, and the apartment was feeling super fumey and soon realized that I had forgot the the fry pan on the burner. And yeah, ended up getting sick. I, I was, you know, nervous based on, you know, having inhaled a bunch of fumes, live in a really small, you know, couple hundred square feet apartment in New York City. Um, and ended up calling poison control. And they basically had, you know, told me that I was likely exposed to Teflon poisoning, which occurs either from, overheating a fry pan with Teflon in it or scratching it and getting into your food and really just was um, really surprised that something that I was cooking off of and and touching my food could potentially, you know, get you sick. And and also, you know, further research showed that uh, there were definitely some longer term consequences that have been proven through a number of studies related to Teflon and felt there was just kind of a big opportunity to build a brand in the kitchen space around Um, you know, launching non-toxic products and and eco-friendly products in the category.
0: That is a very good reason to launch (laughs) non-toxic products. Um, Before deciding that you wanted to start Caraway Home and build non-toxic pots and pans and things like that, let's hear a little bit about your background and what brought you to, you know, moving into the world of e-commerce.
1: Sure. Um, well, well, grew up in New Jersey. Went to school at, to at a uh, Colby College up in uh, Maine. Studied consumer psychology there. Um, I tried launching my first startup out of school, which was a e-commerce marketplace built for direct-to-consumer brands. This was back in 2015. Um, really got it as far as I could, but unfortunately, um, really struggled with that fundraising process. And you know, mm-hmm. coming right out of school, didn't have much experience, but Um, It was really a great kind of launchpad to to kind of testing and learning and trying to do my own thing. Um, I then joined a company in New York in early 2016 called Mohawk Group. Uh, They're a consumer product holding company, owning about four brands. Um, And I joined them to lead Vremi, which was their kitchen brand, um, and ended up uh, basically working there for about two and a half years, launched close to 200 different kitchen products, um, you know, the brand itself was really focused on kind of a, a post-college consumer. You know, average price point was ten to twenty dollars. So, you know, definitely someone looking for something that was lower cost, colorful, and you know, was my kind of first really great experience at you know, obviously working in the kitchen category, launching a number of products, and uh, really fortunate to kind of have have done the more or less the exact same thing prior to Caraway.
0: That's awesome. So, what were some of the Lessons you learned, especially at Remy, when you're launching all these products that you brought into Caraway.
1: Yeah, uh, I think biggest lesson was don't launch 200 products in 18 months.
0: <laughs> Sounds intense. Yeah, but why? Why not?
1: Yeah. Um, well, it was d- definitely a lot of fun and and learned about a lot of different materials and categories, but you know definitely caused a, a lot of issues with inventory forecasting and quality. You know, but I, I think I think through that experience really got to see the power of of selling through digital mediums. At at Remy, we really did focus on Amazon, which is quite different than what we're doing at Caraway, but a lot of the same kind of growth principles that carry over um, that we now kind of implement at Caraway. And so, you know, it was really a, a good opportunity to kind of you know leverage data, use that to inform product decisions. And and the beauty of of online obviously is the ability to, to test. So you know, I've really taking a lot of those same principles into what we're building at Caraway.
0: That's great. Were you any bit nervous when you were moving from you know a large company that had resources and infrastructure and more funding and all that to then start your own company where you had to kind of do everything on your own?
1: Definitely. Um, I think when you take that first leap, it's it's super scary, and you know you leave uh, a comfortable job, you know, you end up initially kind of pitching investors and getting rejected a lot. You're you're not getting paid anything um, and really you're the only person in the world who actually believes in what you're building and so it's yep. it's it's definitely scary, but I had enough con- conviction and and Caraway and having sold all these products before and had experience felt really there was no better person to to kind of go do this and you know, the the supply chain and the manufacturing were really easy for me just because I had had done a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more of the fundraising that was kind of a, a challenging and a new process for me.
0: So you had some recent success around fundraising, right?
1: Uh, yes, that's correct.
0: So you did your, it was a seed round?
1: Yeah. So we just uh, closed and announced a $5.3 million seed round.
0: That is awesome. How did that feel closing that when uh, I think earlier on you said it was a bit of a struggle trying to attract the investors. How did you find the right investors and get them to believe in your vision?
1: Yeah, um, well, we're really excited. It's a it's a big step in our journey, and I think validation for for what we're building. We took a little bit of a different route than most brands, and I think something that's maybe becoming a little bit more common in consumer. But um, we raised from over a hundred investors in the round. A lot of founders and execs, um, you know, a number of funds, and then you know, a lot of uh, consumer focused investors and really took the approach to building a large network, which we felt would, you know, be much more valuable in the long term. And so, you know, as you can imagine, getting 100 investors means I probably pitched 1000 investors. And it took took a long time. But I think, you know, in the long run, it'll knit out much better, because we're, we're more or less one introduction away from any company, given, you know, the large pool of investors we have
0: what were some of the key differentiators that either excited the investors or that they kind of saw about um, your company?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, um, you know, there, there have been a lot of, of news and, and companies out there over the past number of years who've really focused on growth at all costs um, and really prioritizing top line growth uh, and, you know, thinking about things like profit, but profitability at a much later stage and, you know, coming out of my prior experience, had a really great grasp on economics and how to manage cash flow. And um, I think from since day one, our, our pitch has always been, you know, really growing a sustainable business in a category that's super exciting and stale and hasn't seen much innovation. And you know, as a, as a brand, we call ourselves Caraway Home for a reason. In that, um, you know, cookware is our hero product. It's our our you know where we've launched and felt there was the biggest opportunity. But we really see taking the same product principles and applying it across the whole home. And I think what's really exciting that investors have really, you know, been attracted to is basically the breadth of how big the home is and how many products there are in w- within the general category. And you know, really an opportunity to build, you know, a lot of products in a pretty large brand, um, you know, a- across a variety of categories.
0: Got it. Yeah, that's great. So with when it comes to organic and non toxic cookware and things like that, how do you convey those type of unique differences on your website? Because when I was looking at it, it's like, I wouldn't automatically maybe know that Teflon could poison you. I mean, I kind of have heard it before, but it's not something I think about every day, maybe when I grab out my pans. And especially if I'm on a e-commerce site where I'm looking and shopping, how do you show people like, this is why we're better than all the other brands out there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think for us, storytelling is a really big piece of of DNA. Most places where people are coming to from the site, you know, whether it's press or a Facebook ad or Google, um, we do our best to kind of tell that non-toxic story through those mediums. So they're coming into the site with an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not here to to use any scare tactics. We're here to you know educate consumers, and so. We, we try not to push it too hard on our site. We've got sections on on materials that you can go deeper. We have a lot of blog posts. Um, so we really provide those educational resources in, in case you're interested to kind of, you know, read more and educate yourself on the subject. But, you know, the site's really meant to, to emphasize all the points of differentiation, whether it's design or color or the storage components that come with our set. Um, we really want people to get the full picture there. But you know, in those kind of uh, advertising mediums and press, um, the non-toxic is really you know, who we are and, and what we stand for. And you know, hopefully before coming to the site, you get some type of idea of you know, that product feature.
0: Got it. Yeah, the one thing that I liked when I was browsing through your site was it had this very risk-free feeling to it because it has that free returns and 30-day trial and it had a ton of reviews, I mean all over the page, and then it had a whole tab like a tab for just reviews. Was this something that you did from the start, or is this a more recent implementation?
1: So reviews have been a really big piece of, of the brand since we first launched, um, and this was a big learning from my prior experience, especially on Amazon, which is so driven by reviews. but um, you know it's one thing to just show a product on a website, but you, you can't touch and feel it, and reviews are really. The only way to create validation for the quality, and so really since day one, we've been focused on you know our review funnels. Uh, we also want to get feedback to improve our products, um, and so um, yeah, we continue to kind of improve that pipeline. But um, you know, we, we're we're excited to to really continue building that out, and you know, as a brand again with no brick and mortar presence at the moment, it's really you know, the best place customers can go, especially for a brand that's six, seven months old, and um, they've never heard of before.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. How did you go about getting those reviews? Because that to me seems like one of the hardest things to do, especially with a new product or podcast for anyone who hasn't Mm -hmm. reviewed this podcast yet, please help us and share the word and review it. But how did you go about getting those reviews? Because some of the places that you're getting them from were pretty um, big media brands, so, what was the strategy there to bring people in to actually review the product?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, on the site, so we we you know run post purchase email funnels, SMS funnels. Um, you know, we we hit each customer with it a, a number of times to get their feedback, and then when it comes to press, uh, we did we did a lot of gifting at the early stages, um, and and really tried to create culture amongst editors of of getting the products into their homes and actually using them at home and and not really pushing them to write stories on us, but getting them to experience the product. And if they love it, you know, have them come back and, you know, write their honest opinion.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. I think if you get something in someone's house, even if they didn't originally maybe even ask for it, you kind of feel obligated to give a review. I know on uh, Amazon, I left a two-star review on something for (laughs) a baby product and they sent me a new and different product, just saying like, hey, we're sorry that the you know first product didn't work out. But if you could please, you know, uh, reconsider your review, because here's three new things we're sending you to try out. Even though I didn't ask for it, and I didn't expect it, I kind of felt obligated to get on there and, you know, test out the product and re-review it if I did end up liking it. So I think that's good to get it in their house to, yeah, get people to start thinking about it.
1: Definitely. And we see the same thing with influencers as as well. Like, you know, we want to be working with people who organically love the brand and product. And, you know, we're very confident in the product that we've created and the quality. And we've seen just a lot of success of once we can kind of get it into people's hands and they cook with it a few times. um, It's really a great bridge to to starting a bigger partnership conversation.
0: Yeah, that's great. So, the one thing I saw that was interesting was uh, it was on a blog post where you mentioned that when you were launching, you had a waitlist of I think it was said one hundred and fifty thousand people who joined pre-launch to get the product when it was ready to go. Is that the right number? and if so, how did you garner that um, excitement for people to get on a waitlist?
1: yeah, that that is the right number, and uh, that waitlist was a really you know incredible kind of launch platform for us and you know, I think, I think early days, it really started with me pitching just a lot of investors and talking to as many people as possible and created a lot of word of mouth, which drove to our landing page. And then um, pre-launch, one of the things we did was um, partner with other brands on, on things like sweepstakes and, and giveaways and, and start kind of building our, our brand rep through a lot of those partnership campaigns. Um, and then kind of towards the end of the funnel... We started building, you know, not dissimilar from kind of what Harry's did to build their pre-launch, I think, 100,000 wait list, ended up doing a referral campaign within that existing list we built. And um, that referral was super successful. Um, We got a lot of word of mouth and people sharing out of it. Um, And by the time we launched, we had a nice, you know, grouping of customers who are really excited to test and be our early adopters.
0: That's really fun. How do you keep them coming back and engaged? Because I think of cookware... I mean, I got mine, I think, at my wedding and I haven't really thought about it unless it breaks, which has happened a few times when we've mm-hmm. dropped it and it's gotten all bent up. But it's not something that comes top of mind or would bring me back maybe to a site easily. How do you keep those um, customers, especially the really engaged and excited ones, coming back to the site and checking out your new products?
1: yeah it's really through um, you know content where we're pretty active and it becoming you know uh, building a much stronger content platform both on the site and social we We obviously want people to buy the product, but we also want to provide education outside the the physical pots and pans and so we see a lot of activity from consumers coming to us actually less about food and cooking and recipes but more about kind of design and colors and seeing Caraway kind of inspired them to redo their whole kitchen or rethink the products that they have in their home. Um, and so whether it's our blog or social or, or writing in through chat or email, you know, we, we work to really, you know, provide these pieces of education to consumers, um, as we grow, um, you know, we have aspirations to build a pretty large portfolio of products. So, um, you know, what's fantastic about cookware is it's, it's, a larger purchase item. Um, you know, we're not waiting for revenue to come in through a subscription. Um, we get that first purchase and then really have opportunities as we launch more products to focus on those for upselling and, and re-engaging customers.
0: That's great. How are you thinking about retail locations or like your omni-channel strategy?
1: Yeah, right now we are you know, solely focused on our, our website. Uh, we are on a few marketplaces like Zola and Goop and Huckberry and a few others. And Omnichannel is super exciting to us. Uh, I think, you know, going back to our mission, if our goal is to really, you know, get non-toxic cookware into as many people's houses as as possible instead of Teflon, really the only way to truly embrace that and do that is to, you know, uh, kind of replace the products that are on shelves and and, you know, currently saturate the market. And so, Online right now is really our main focus, but we see big opportunities with with partnerships and retail. With our own brick and mortar, um, still today we're we're a young brand, so we're focused online. But you know, have some exciting new uh, plans coming up in the next uh, eighteen to twenty four months.
0: Ooh, fun! What's the experience been like selling on marketplaces versus just D to C via your website?
1: Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think for us, we see it as opportunities to reach different demographics than what we've, you know, are are currently seeing on our site. Uh, We've gone into it with a really open approach and I've seen a lot of success, obviously being in the kitchen and home categories. A lot of these items are purchased through a registry process. So that's always been really important to us at the beginning. But also, you know, someone like Huckberry who we're working with, um, it's an all men's marketplace. They do a really amazing job with curating and and they really know how to talk to their customers. And it's one of those marketplaces where um, we've just seen great success, and it's a totally different demographic from what we see on the site. Um, so it's it's really a good opportunity to just test and and reach new markets that you know otherwise we'd have no access to.
0: That's great about the uh, registry idea. I didn't even I mean, it seems obvious when you say it now, but making sure that you're in on all the websites. I don't even know how they link up because I think when I built my registry, they were already kind of linked to different marketplaces already set up. Do you have to go to the marketplace to get that uh, relationship? Or is it a brand who kind of controls the marketplaces all in one place? How does that work?
1: Um, well, most of them are marketplace controlled, but they're all you know standard kind of retail relationships. And a lot of the major registry players are all digitally driven. Some of them allow you to add any product from any site onto their platforms. Um, they're all a little bit different, but, you know, we want to be at the top of every registry platform and, you know, also encourage users who come to our site who are getting married to go to those platforms as well to add us.
0: Yeah. I think just your colors. And I saw some of your videos, that should be enticing enough for people want to want to add it to a cart because it is, it does look very different than the typical, you know, black or light gray. Um, items and I haven't really seen many videos of cooking where I'm like, ooh, that's a nice pot or pan or whatever <laughs> it is. And I'm not even looking at the food. I'm looking at how they're cooking in this nice colorful bright um product.
1: Yeah, we we color's a, a big part of our brand and this was actually a big learning from my prior experience. But you know, there's just a kind of a big lack of of color in the category and the colors that do exist uh are typically like bright reds or really desaturated baby blues and um, I think there's definitely, you know, a, a place for those, but also we just saw a big kind of wide open space of, of colors like navies and, and sages and creams that exist in the rest of your home, but for some reason don't exist in the kitchen and, um, you know, wanted the brand to have a little bit of, of playfulness yet sophistication through colors and, you know, also give people the opportunity where, you know, you can, can really create a kitchen that I think represents your personality and the rest of your home.
0: Yeah, that's really fun. Why weren't there colors before? Like, was is there something about creating that that makes it harder to incorporate colors?
1: The creation of colors certainly is challenging. Um, it's it's a lot of back and forth, a lot of sampling. For larger brands, who I think are, you know, cranking out products and and not really investing the time into innovation, um, it's it's much easier to just choose something like black or stainless steel. Um, and, and quite frankly, like, that's been what's popular on the market for decades. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, Le Creuset is, is really one of the first players to come in and introduce colors. KitchenAid has done an awesome job. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of the legacy brands who dominate the category, they've been selling you know, neutrals for such, such a long time that for them to even test colors could actually potentially cannibalize their existing business. And so, you know, it kind of opens that door for us to try something new.
0: Yeah, that is good. How do you go about creating new products? Is there a data element that you use to maybe get like customer input to know what they're looking for or what new product offerings you're going to be exploring?
1: A lot of our uh, product process is super data driven. You know, there's definitely an element of asking consumers what they want and you know what's bothering them across certain product categories and what they like. And and we do, you know, that qualitative research. But a lot of how we think about products is looking at things like. Google Trends, Google AdWords, what's trending on social. Um, we have a number of internal tools that we use to kind of model out what we find to be interesting. Um, obviously, there, there are things like, you know, market size and, and competitor mix. Um, and so, you know, we, we really like to take a data-driven approach. And, um, you know, we are the same way at, at my prior company as well and kind of where I, I learned this. But yeah, I think we really like to lean into products where we've got a strong conviction that it will sell well online. Um, we we typically like to avoid things that, you know, purely exist for potentially you know a, a brand marketing reason, which I think a lot of companies get caught up into uh, in many cases.
0: So, what metrics do you think are most important when it comes to like you said, you take a very data driven approach? Which ones have been the most important and? How should a company think about implementing that type of data and research into their product development?
1: I think it really comes from the channels that you're in, and, and kind of working backward it's from the, the core metrics that you track as a business. If you're on Facebook and Google, really understanding if there, you know, there might be an opportunity at the macro level across the category, but you really want to make sure that you know where you're going to be spending your marketing dollars and, and efforts. There's an opportunity as well. and I think that's that's even the more important piece is we've found niches in certain places where we feel you know even at the macro level, it's very competitive and saturated, but we feel there's a big opportunity within the digital landscape. And so uh, I think it's it's really focusing on, on where your marketing dollars are.
0: Got it. Are there any um, website metrics that you pay most attention to, or like how many tests are you doing every single day to kind of see? What helps with conversions, or what helps with your customer acquisition strategies? Anything that you look at there on a weekly basis or day to day?
1: I think for us, a lot of the the focus right now is definitely on kind of top line growth, but working back from that conversion rate, um, return on ad spend is incredibly important. Um, we place a big emphasis as a brand on being first purchase profitable and uh, making sure that we're growing sustainably and and not burning cash on each purchase. And so um, a lot of the emphasis is really on that. Um, As we grow, things like LTV and, and, you know, repeat purchase rate will become much more important Um, within each specific ad platform. We've certainly got different, different goals and metrics. We try to hit, but, you know, as a brand, you know, the focus at the moment is really on kind of metrics that lead to top line growth.
0: Yep. Are there any um, platforms that you're finding your most success in or new platforms that you're exploring right now
1: sure um, so we, we um, similar to most D2c brands focus a lot on Facebook and Google um, but I, I think one thing we've really put a big focus on since the beginning is growing our influencer ambassador network mm-hmm. um, we currently work with a group of uh, you know 100 to 200 influencers and, and this is a group that's growing really fast who you know similar to what you're chatting with before we, we've gifted they've experienced the product there's really an organic relationship they're built and um, really working with uh, fantastic creators who I think are the best voices for the brand. And they've got trusted communities who, who you know, watch them every day and listen to them. And having those groups really tell the story for us has been tremendously successful. And as a brand, we've actually kind of avoided the the food and kind of recipe market, which I think a lot of this category goes after. And Focused a lot more on things like wellness and design, and tried some new categories that I don't think kitchenware has really, really entered into uh, till this point.
0: Well, that's smart. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, utilizing Pinterest and places like that where people are, like you said, designing their kitchens or their homes definitely. and just thinking about things differently. That definitely seems like your kind of um, ideal customer.
1: Definitely, and and we see Caraway as almost, um, and we hear this from a lot of consumers, but almost being that first kind of inspiration or purchase that they make that then, you know, kind of uh, put them on a path to redoing their full kitchen or, you know, wanting to create a, a safer and healthier home. Um, and so we, we love being in platforms and working with creators who kind of, you know, align with that strategy.
0: And that's why I think it's really important that you're moving into other aspects of the home, because that reminds me when I got a, it was like a pastel green tea kettle because it was super cute. And I liked it a lot. And I put it in my kitchen. And then I'm looking around. I'm like, Oh, man, I don't have anything else that matches this tea kettle. And I started trying to go around and search for that exact color. And I couldn't find a match. And but yeah, it did start making me rethink about how to (laughs) redesign my kitchen and then incorporate it into my living room because they're so close. So I think having multiple products that can kind of help create that experience all throughout the house. And that nice design principles could be very beneficial.
1: Definitely. And, and pulling that back to kind of new products as well and, and color, um, you know, that's it's it creates a really exciting opportunity where you make that first navy or sage or cream and having a bigger portfolio of products to really seed that throughout the rest of the home is, is really where we want to kind of get to. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you pick colors that can't really be matched with other brands?
1: That's certainly part of it. All of our colors are custom made. A lot of brands typically, you know, lean towards choosing a Pantone color. Um, Colors are very difficult to replicate. Just (laughs) going through the experience, they do take a lot of time to to get right. Um, And so there, there's definitely, you know, some data that we we look at when it comes to what people are looking for and searching. It's it's asking customers um but at the end of the day we we wanted to create something that was uniquely different in this category and i think in the initial kind of research stages was really surprised that something as simple as navy which you're wearing in your clothes every day and and is such a prominent color in people's homes just didn't exist in the category and so um you know as a young brand it's it's fun to have a website and be able to kind of test into you know colors that just just don't exist today
0: yeah have you tested anything that you didn't actually have on hand yet?
1: No, nothing publicly, but we we certainly do some stuff, um, you know, privately or in kind of small tests across Facebook or Google.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. Is there any time data's kind of led you down the wrong path where, you know, I'm over here Googling fluorescent pink pan and then you make a product and you're like, ooh a lot of people were Googling that or, you know, searching for that keyword and it was because of this. And we probably shouldn't have made maybe a product around that, or no one's actually buying that color. Anytime when data's kind of led you down the wrong path?
1: Yeah. Um, nothing specifically with Caraway, but at my, my prior role at, at Mohawk Group and Vremi, um, we launched a lot of products. There were many that we had strong conviction on based off data and you know, sometimes uh, it just it doesn't work for whatever reason. It could be the product design. It could be the colors. It could be the price point. There are so many variables to it. Um, but I think understanding all the variables that can impact, uh, you know, the, the success of a product is is super important. And as as long as you're really trying to make something different and really try to make it a compelling offer, I think across all those categories, you have a pretty good chance at success. And really. I think this is a universal truth, but the the product quality needs to be there, right? It it can look pretty and the price can be great, but as long as that product's a really great product and people love it, that in and of itself should generate, you know, its own kind of uh, word of mouth. Mm
0: -hmm. Is there any way that you encourage that word of mouth with your customers?
1: Definitely. Um, I mean, we encourage consumers to continually post on social, showing us what the what the pans look like in their homes, showing us how they organize their kitchens with the pan racks that we sent over, showing us what they cooked. Um, And so, kind of as we as we roll out new products and expand the brand, you know, I think there's definitely some areas we can improve in in the word of mouth. But so far, it does make up a large percentage of our sales. And you know, having kind of reviews built into the brand. I believe also encourages that.
0: How are you measuring the organic growth right now? When, Like you said, referrals make up a large part of the sales. If you don't have a referral program yet, how are you tracking that to kind of see where the customers are coming from?
1: It's definitely tough. Um, we run a post-purchase survey after people purchase. Obviously not everyone fills it out, but um, we get a lot of data through there in terms of asking consumers where they came from. Um, and so that's really the best indication. But you know, we're also... In a, in a position where we really understand kind of how many sales are coming from Facebook and Google and a lot of other channels. So, um, you know, we're able to kind of parse out between those two methods, you know, what we think the, you know, word of mouth effect is.
0: Got it. Got it. So it seems like it'd be kind of hard to keep people, not only just customers, but also even like the influencers engaged. Because I think about, you know, when someone sends you something or you buy something new, you're really excited for maybe a week, and then you're kind of like a lot of people, at least myself, maybe not everyone else, it's kind of on to the next thing and excited about the new thing. How do you keep um, not only your customers, but also those influencers that you were sending products to engaged for the long haul?
1: I think a big important piece of our influencer program is that most of these relationships are tremendously organic. And and we work with people who truly love the product. And so, um, you know, they're just like anything, there's always more excitement at the beginning when something's new but we, we, we like to work with people who are sharing content around cooking and sharing content around storage and design. And, you know, our our products are kind of always in those content pieces. And so it's really been um, a pretty organic uh, relationship and, and we've, we haven't seen a massive drop off in, you know, sharing among amongst that group in terms of customers. We put a lot of emphasis into email and SMS and new blog posts and social and really try to get people you know, into those funnels or onto the social page or so they're staying up to date with everything that's going on with the brand. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have any um, events or things like that where you bring together your influencers or maybe even customers to kind of build that camaraderie feeling? It's something that uh, I think back to when I was at Google, we had this local guides program and they would do big events where all the local guides could come and meet and get some swag and really feel like a community. Is there anything like that that you guys are planning for in the future?
1: Definitely. Um, I, I think community is is tremendously important. We obviously really focus on that with our consumers, but you know, for our ambassador base, it's still really early days and early stages. But looking at companies like Glossier, and I think they've done such a great job at creating that community amongst ambassadors, and you know, the the people they work with are tremendously proud to to represent Glossier, and so. Um, Events and dinners and, and opportunities to gather are, are certainly um, among top interests for us. We, with COVID going on, it creates some more challenges. Yeah. But
0: yep. um, a Zoom <laughs> happy hour.
1: <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, we're we're looking to roll out kind of a you know a community base, whether it's on Slack or Facebook groups, um, in the coming months for you know all of our influencers to connect, and it's also a good opportunity for them to kind of share best tips on on what's working for them and what's not you know, on their social posts for, you know, maximizing engagement.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely seems like it could be really beneficial because then you have this group of people working for you behind the scenes, teaching each other best practices that you're not having to employ. Exactly. Which is great. <laughs> so uh, circling back a little bit to your background, I saw or I think you mentioned that you were you studied consumer psychology. Is that right? Correct. Okay, cool. How have those like how did that background help you? with building your company, if it did, or what kind of principles did you take away or remember from your studies?
1: Yeah. I mean, back in, back in school, I was really interested in, in understanding you know, why people chose the products that they did, why they aligned with certain brands. And I think at Caraway, we take a, a pretty granular focus when it comes to that. And um, a lot of that's reflected through the messaging we put out. We're at any given point running dozens and dozens of tests across our, our ads and our website. And, you know, there's uh, obviously demographic information on on people, which we try to segment based on in terms of our consumer, but then there's also, you know, personality traits and, and uh, you know, more of the psychology of of kind of further breakdowns of certain demographic categories. And so, you know, we do our best to kind of collect this information from consumers to really understand, you know, who the customer is, what they're thinking about, you know, uh, who they are as people. And that in turn really informs the, the macro messaging, what's on the website and, you know, branching out to kind of the brand principles.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Is there any element of personali- personalization right now when you come to Caraway based on the data that you just mentioned, whether it's demographics or anything else?
1: At the moment, not on site. We're really focused, and, and this was highly intentional at, intentional at the beginning of uh, launching the brand, is we really want to create a product and brand that are, are really accessible to the most people possible, and also kind of narrow down um, the decision making that they have to do. Um, yeah, right now, we've important. got we've got one set. It's really simple. Really, the core decision is the color that you have to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, a- as we grow and we start launching more products. Um, I think that's where we'll start to see a lot more personalization and, you know, trying to help people, you know, once you buy the cookware set or you buy another product, like, you know, what's that next piece you should add into your kitchen? And, and why do you need that product? And, you know, I, I think that really comes with uh, kind of expanding the brand into those new categories and then creating sub segments um, based on, you know, what their initial purchases were, where they come from, who they are as people, um, and how we can help them, you know, better merchandise and, and support them in their home.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. So, you've been in the world of e commerce for a while. What's one thing that you wish online sellers would either start doing or stop doing?
1: Great question. I, I think for me, there's become this really big mentality in, in consumer products of growth at all costs. You know, I, I think a lot of venture backed companies have really pushed into achieving most of their sales through buying ads and buying customers, and that's certainly a a piece of growth. But you know, I'd also encourage to really, especially in your early days, like, you know, growth's not that challenging to come by. You're starting with a smaller number and really putting the emphasis on word of mouth and expanding your your return on ad spend. Um, I think I think it's easy to get caught up in in high growth, but you want to make sure those kind of founding principles are there from from day one. Um, And so um, I, I think, you know, generally as a as a piece of advice, that's that's one thing I think we've done well at Caraway, and I learned from my prior experience. And um, I just see a lot of sellers and vendors, uh, you know, I, I think focusing on, on top line growth a little too much and and sacrificing something that's going to be you know more beneficial in the long term.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does seem like something that a lot of companies, especially over the past couple of years, have lost sight of. Because like you said, I mean, when you have these VCs who are telling you that you need to hit these crazy growth numbers, it's kind of like, well, we just have to do whatever it takes to do it and to hit those numbers. And it seems like in the process, a business wasn't actually built behind the scenes, kind of like a fake business where it was only ads buying customers, but then not having a good product. And I think we're seeing a lot of um, problems from that right now.
1: Absolutely. And I think a big piece of it too is uh, it's really building you know, that mentality internal with your your team and building a culture where it's just as much exciting to lower the cost on something as it is to uh, increase growth or or launch a new uh, fun marketing initiative. Um, And so, uh, you know, for me, I'd love to see kind of more founders and teams, you know, focusing on that sustainable growth.
0: Mm -hmm. Completely agree. All right. So the lightning round, which is brought to you by our amazing sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Is where I send a question your way, Jordan, and you have a minute or less to answer or 30 seconds, whatever you want to do.
1: Perfect. Are you ready? I am ready.
0: <laughs> All right. What's up next on your Netflix or Hulu queue?
1: Ooh, tough question. I am um, excited to watch Ozark season three have yet to, to get to it, but I've heard it's a, a good one. So that's been kind of at the top of my list to get to.
0: Nice. Yeah, that is definitely a good series. Um, if you were to have a podcast, who would your first guest be? Or what would the podcast be about?
1: We'd love to focus a podcast on brands that really focus on doing good for the world and and you know, whether it's non-toxic products or or eco-friendly products, really hear more about their journeys to to creating those those items and you know, hearing about the, the larger impact that they have on the world.
0: Oh, that's a good one. If there's any sponsors out there, hit Jordan up. <laughs> we can help you all with that. All right. And a slightly more difficult one where you may have to think for a bit. What's one thing that will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year?
1: Uh, I, th- I think the, the short answer to this and tying it into obviously what's going on in the world is I think people staying more in their homes and what that means in terms of general macro online sales, brick and mortar. Um, I think, you know, we'll come out of this with really a different world and, and excited to see kind of how the, the retail landscape starts kind of, I think, merging with the the digital landscape.
0: That is a great answer. All right, Jordan, it's been such a fun interview. Thanks for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about you and Caraway?
1: You can check us out at uh, www.carawayhome.com, And uh, thanks for having me. This was super fun.
0: Yeah. See you next time.
1: Thanks.
2: Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.